This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by LionShare with Dave Buring and his team. Here's audio content from LionShare and their track called The Holy Spirit, Obedience, and Transformation. So, I, I just want to make sure you're in the right right classroom. You're supposed to, you're here to, it's... The Spirit told you to come. Oh, I see. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of seats up here if anybody needs. So, so this, this yeah, this one's on um, the Holy Spirit, a disciple maker's guide. So that's that's where we're gonna go. So let me find out first. By the way, I'm Dave Beering. It's nice to meet you. This lady in the back in the oranges is my beautiful bride Cheryl, and these are some of my teammates with Lion Share. And um, Kent will be doing the next session with his uh, church from Pittsburgh. They're talking about, uh, they've been transitioning for several years to a disciple-making model, so they'll, they'll be doing a forum in this, the student building, right? Heather Wave, Heather Zempel, tomorrow morning, she's discipleship pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and um, if you're familiar with Mark Batterson's writings, so Heather works with Mark, excellent preacher, disciple-maker, and she's doing a session on um, impacting and discipling millennials. So that's tomorrow... 10 o'clock-ish, 9.45. Is that right, Jody? She's the assistant. And this is Todd Gurrell. Todd is uh, uh, on our team, and Todd lives in East Tennessee. He takes care of all of our resources and has just been a big help to me over the last three years in helping with some organizational things. Jody, who's back there, works with Heather. She keeps Heather in line. And then Darren Beerson, the fine gentleman there on the right with the sport coat on, Darren is our incoming executive director for LionShare, the organization. We He and his family will be moving from the D.C. area late January, February to assume that role. So I'm glad that you're here. Let me find out how many states. So just shout out your state so I know how many states are here. Minnesota, Tennessee, Kansas, Illinois, Michigan. Are you are are you Ohio? Are you state or U of M? All right, Florida. Where else? Arkansas. Arkansas. Indiana. Indiana. Kentucky. South Carolina. Someone say North Carolina. A Missouri back here. Where's the Missouri? Nice. Texas. Always got to be one from Texas. It's just it's just that way. And back there. Pennsylvania. Do you say D.C. or Virginia? Okay, I just was. I don't mean to cause an offense. I better change my topic. How to not pick up an offense? So um, let me find out now uh, what you do. How many of you are either pastors or you're on a church staff? Okay, so about two-thirds of you. How many of you... um, work with your church, I don't mean full-time, but maybe as a volunteer, as a leader in your church, but you're working somewhere else in society. Okay, anybody that's a missionary in here? Okay, a couple of you. Anybody running for president? 
<laughs> yeah, a write-in could win this year. All right. So let me let me open in prayer. I'm really glad that you're here. We're doing a, our umbrella topic is the Holy Spirit, obedience, and transformation. And so we'll be doing five different tracks. You've probably seen them, and I've introduced a couple of them. Um, Darren's wife Sonia, who you, who for years worked in the media, will be doing one on on. Um, Making Marketplace Disciples. And then the one that I'm excited about, too, will be the very last one, is I'm going to do a, a live a small group demonstration on how do you actually help people obey Jesus. And so um, that'll, be, that'll be the last session on uh, Friday afternoon before we go in for the, the close. So, yes, seats. There's one here, another here. These are, I think, the $150 seats. Isn't that right? Half price right now. Half price. That's right. All right, so let me just tell you this. If any of you, and I know this will cause you to email us, which is fine, but I know what it's like to be on the end where you're trying to write down everything that someone's saying that you thought was important. So let me just tell you this now. If you um, go to lionshare.org and on the, um, help me Todd, I think it's just the, you'll find a place in there where you can email us. It's at info at Lionshare and just say, I was in Dave's first session on the Holy Spirit. Can he send me his PowerPoint? Okay. I'm willing to send it to you for your own, like, don't go on the road with it, you know. But it, but if it's just for your own reflection, you say, I couldn't write fast enough. I would rather have you here than try to do this. Oh, shoot. What did he say? You know what I'm saying? So I just... Yeah, that you could just do that. Info at Lionshare.org and just say that and I'll send you the, I'll send you this... Um, PowerPoint. All right? Deal? Because I just would rather have you take in rather than feel like you're having to break your fingers to write everything down. All right? So, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for who you are in our midst. Thank you for a good start. Thank you for the reminders to us of the centrality of this in our lives and in our ministries. And, Lord, we confess to you our desperate need of you. Lord, I just acknowledge that uh, what John 15:5 says, apart from you, I can do nothing. And I know, Lord, that you're the one that has to be the imparter today. Um, and so, Lord, we just want to team together with you. And I just would ask, Lord, that you would allow us to catch a fresh vision and sense of what it is that you're saying and doing. Or would you encourage each and every new friend here in Jesus' name? Amen. It's hot in here. Yes. They're working on it. They are? Okay. I was going to say we could open the windows, but it's probably just as hot out there. It's warm out there. Yeah. All right, so let's just jump in. So John 16 says this, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Now think about that. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Oftentimes, we um, we think that disciple-making um, can be something that has to do with just the transferring of knowledge. And I want to say a statement. Just hear me out. Okay, I'm just saying it to help you think a little bit. I personally have a conviction that one of the greatest hindrances to disciple-making are Bible studies. Not the Bible. Don't mishear me. But Bible studies. Because here's what often a Bible study looks like. 
we'll st- and we have a huge culture of this in our country that's been around for decades. We start, for example, like at 7 at night. We've had our coffee and cookies and our greetings. And then we sit down and we open things up at 7 o'clock. And about 8 o'clock, we shut them and nobody asks the question, what did the Holy Spirit reveal to you in the last hour and how are you going to obey that in your life? Are you following me? And because of that kind of culture, we have followers of Jesus that know a lot, but whose hearts aren't transformed. And one of the things that's important for us to recognize uh, is the role of the Holy Spirit in how he helps us as disciple makers to be able to help people learn to obey. Were most of you in the last session? Um, So you heard me talking a little bit about this whole area of teaching people to obey Jesus. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's actually not my role. There's a little, this is, I, I talked about this very briefly in the last session here. But when I was stumbling my way through the Gospel of Matthew over time, I just was looking for observations, not the magic bullet, not the secret potion, just observations of what, what was the, for lack of a better way, I just called it ingredients that created men and women who were willing to lay their lives down for Jesus. Always remember the disciples of Jesus didn't die for a cause. They died for a person. That's really important to remember because right now, a lot of my 20s and 30-something friends, you know, they're very much about a cause, which I'm all for. But I always remind them, don't give your life to a cause. Give your life to a person, the person of Jesus. And when you look at the ingredients that created the fact that um, outside of Judas, we know what happened there, and, and John, who basically was isolated on the island of Patmos, the other 10 boiled in oil, sawed in two, Peter crucified upside down. We have to remember that's part of our heritage. That's part of my heritage. In our generation, we're carrying now that torch. But martyrdom and people laying their lives down, it was like like I was just with someone not long ago who says to me, hey, Dave, where I live in India, it's there's a plaque right here. Maybe some of you have seen it. You know, This is where Thomas, one of the original 12, died, right here. And... Um, and we have to remember that that these there was some kind of ingredients that were stirred into this pot of disciple making that allowed men and women to be that fired up, that committed, that fearless. And and what I want to submit to you is is these. I'm not saying this is the only thing, but these are the five things that I observed. And we'll come back to the the middle one because that's our topic here in a moment. But just to round them out, there's a commitment to scriptural truth. All right. Everybody who grows in following Jesus, there's a commitment to scriptural truth. It's like, okay, this is what the Bible says. This is now where I need to, to live and walk. I think someone wants in. Oh, no, he's just checking. Secondly, it was done in a context of relationships. Like I had a, a man one time in my car say to me, um, I've discipled myself. And I kind of, you know, threw a penalty flag. And, 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 and the guy... The guy um, you know, he's very much committed to prayer and the word truly. Uh, and I said, you have been a great student of of the Lord and of the word. But discipleship always has to do with someone else speaking into your life, someone else shaping you. All right. So it's always done in a context of community and relationships. And then we talked about this, the culture. There's a there was a culture of obeying Jesus. That was the norm. Like, I don't know if you've ever um, considered this before, but like if I was to poll us of our top 10 Bible stories that we listened to growing up as kids, you know, Noah's Ark, Daniel, you know, in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, David, you know, and Goliath, Joan and the whale, all these different things. Do you know every one of them has rooted in that story obedience? Those stories would not be significant unless there was obedience. When Moses encountered God at the burning bush, he actually went. 
though concerned about his stuttering, he actually went. David obeyed his dad and went to the front lines where he saw Goliath. Noah, who at the time when most scholars feel like the, wa- the earth was probably watered from, you know, underneath the earth, water's coming up, that he didn't say, I don't get this rain thing. And you're talking about a hundred or so year project? I'm out. He could have, he didn't. He obeyed. Jonah, not so much. But in the end, he came back around and obeyed, didn't he? Okay. But see, every one of those stories had to do with something about obedience. And one of the things that, that I want to stress to us today is part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our walk with the Lord and our growing, it has to do with obedience. And can I say it this way? To the degree someone's willing to obey, to that same degree they grow spiritually. Okay? And so part of the role of the Holy Spirit as disciple makers is coming alongside people and helping them learn to obey Jesus. That's, that's what it looks like. All right? Let me, um, let me just give you the last one here. Charge to reproduce. You know, that's often something that's, that's missing right now. We don't do that. We just kind of stop with, I got what I got, but we don't think about reproducing. And in the middle there is the role of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's the one that superintends all of that. The role of the Holy Spirit is something that we need to pay attention to when we're discipling somebody. It's not, can I say it this way, it's not about cramming a curriculum down someone's throat. It's using that curriculum as jumping off points to what it is the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal. Okay, It's paying attention to that. I've learned that I've had to become a much better listener as a disciple maker because um, when you when truth gets put into someone's life, and it's stirring inside them, and they open their mouths, and the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The Holy Spirit's actually revealing to you as a disciple maker what he's doing in them. Are you following me? And it's learning to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's actually doing in people. Now, let me, let me just give you a couple of, couple of things here on, on the Holy Spirit's role in discipling. So I'm going to give you three pieces to this. We'll, we'll go through this fairly quickly. First, he brings the presence of Jesus into our lives. When you give your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell, he brings the presence of Jesus near to you. All right, Things like he gives us the certainty of being a child of God. His presence is near. I'm with you. And and you notice Jesus didn't say, I'm with you sometimes. I'm with you always. All right, He baptizes and sows us into the body of Christ. Um, He was sent so we'd no longer be called orphans. You have a father. He reveals to you God is a father. He brings the nearness. He fills us and resides within us. He's the paraclete. As my friend Dean Sherman says, he's the paraclete. Did you know that's where we get the word cleat? Because it's a pair of cleats that help. It helps push the defensive linemen away from the line. And he's the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the helper. He's the one that comes alongside of us as our helper, guide, comforter, and counselor. So one of the things that... Um, is important that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to all of us is the nearness of God. The nearness of God. God doesn't want me thinking I'm out doing this on my own. He wants me to know He's near. One of the great things about disciple-making that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal is He wants to reveal to, to us the Father. God's heart is a Father. Who doesn't need to know more love, right? And that's one of the things. It's not about, doggone it, did you do this rule? Someone said something to me. I'm still pondering. You know, it, it pushes the legalism buttons in me. You know, they said, "Do you know that God is so that what the cross is really about is it proves that God is more about relationship than He is rules." Doesn't that push the legalism button? Yeah, but 
Yeah, but he's still got a... Yeah, I know, but it's... God is about relationship. Okay? And it's out of relationship that we follow Jesus. It's like that illustration I gave in there. If Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's about loving Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to reveal God's presence in our lives and through our lives. The second role that the Holy Spirit pray, plays is he brings the likeness of Jesus. Like One of the things that the panel was talking a little bit about is the problem that oftentimes people have with the church is, mo- is many Christians. You know, Jim was throwing out the 80 to 90 number. Nobody's discipled them, so they actually don't look like Jesus. They have knowledge, but they don't look like Jesus. Okay? And, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it says he guides us into all truth, helping us remember it. He creates in us the disposition and attitude of Jesus. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. It's like, don't you want to know that when someone leaves you, they under their breath say, I want to know God like they know God. You know, I want to look in my life like they look like when I grow up. You know, I still say that about guys, men of God that are, I want to say inside, I want to be like him when I grow up. You know, why? Because I've seen the character of Jesus in him. And, and one of the key ingredients is, The Holy Spirit's role is to shape us into the disposition and attitudes of Jesus. Philippians 2 talks about us having the same attitude as Christ. All right? And that, that, that doesn't come from just having the buffet on Sunday morning and 21 other meals you just pass by waiting for the next buffet on Sunday morning. This happens through people walking with you, checking you on things. One of the, I'm not saying this to name a name, it's just a good illustration. So one of the, the, young people that I've walked with now for about uh, 10 to 12 years that, in a discipling relationship is Mandisa. Some of you might know her from her singing world. And I happen to be the pastor at her church that she was attending, and we've walked together over the years. And there's moments in time where the Lord will shape our attitudes and our dispositions. So let me tell you the story. So when she first, after American Idol, and she got a manager, and she started kind of doing her... Um, career she got her first album and she called me one day and she said dave my song is number one like above beyonce i mean she was just and she was like and i just said well congratulations that's awesome that's an exciting moment well so we just celebrated that well about three or four weeks later she called and she was droopy in her voice hi not the attitude or disposition of jesus all right and so i said like what's going on she said oh my song is fourth so because there's a discipling speaking into her life relationship, it was the Holy Spirit did one of these in Dave's ribs. Now is a moment. And so what I said to her is I said, and she's got a good sense of humor, so she knew I was teasing, but with a point. I said, you know, I think when you get to heaven, that's going to be the first question Jesus is going to ask you about. And she started laughing. She said, okay, what are you saying? I said, I want you to always remember that your disposition and your attitude towards what you do needs to be this. People in the world have a stage. God has not given you a stage. It's not about you. God's given you a platform to represent Him. And that sunk in, and she lives that still to this day. But see, it was a disciple-making moment, me just listening to the Lord, not Dave being super smart, but just listening that I knew at that moment, okay, I could just either be Mr. Comforter, oh, I'm so sorry, but that doesn't lead to anything. Instead, I pointed her to a direction of how she could have a disposition and attitude of Jesus. But that was the Holy Spirit that dropped that in my heart, so I just went with it. And you know, in some of those kinds of things, it's like you have to ask yourself the question, do I have the relational currency to do this? Okay, so let me just say this while we're there, because I don't think I'll get back to this. 
to the degree you have relationship, to that same degree you have authority to speak into somebody's life. Let me say that again. To the degree you have relationship, to that same degree you have authority to speak into somebody's life. Oftentimes we think just by virtue of position we'll speak into somebody's life. Well, if you're the boss, you need to speak into what you're the boss of, but you might not be able to speak into the areas of their life. Like, have you ever thought about it this way? The reason Jesus could speak into James and John's life when they were deciding with their mother who should sit on the right hand and on the left was because he had relationship. It's not just because he's Jesus. It's because he had relationship. He had relationship with them. And therefore, it was able to go in. It was able to be received. Like, think about it in your life, how much more difficult it is to receive something from somebody that you have very little relationship with versus somebody that you know really well. It's so much harder. Well, it's the same thing in the discipling relationship. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us. So that day with Mandisa, it was a day I knew okay, I could take one half baby step forward with her to help her from this day forward on this issue have a, more the disposition and likeness of Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. Um, he convicts us of sin. And righteousness. He puts sin to death in our lives. He, he sanctifies us, you know, making us look more like Jesus. And he brings out the fruit of the Spirit in us. I mean, this is part of the role of the Holy Spirit. Is Not only he brings the presence, but he brings the likeness of Jesus in us. Here's the third one. He brings the power of Jesus in and through our lives. All right? He brings the power of Jesus. So he helps us in our weaknesses. And it says in Romans, in our prayer life. He gives us the power to overcome sin. He gives us the power to know and do God's will. Empowers us with spiritual gifts to advance His kingdom. He empowers us to be His witnesses and make disciple makers. All right. Remember, Jesus said this is often something that's missed, but in Luke 24, Jesus told them, "Before you actually go do this great commission, go wait so you can be empowered so you can actually do this." Okay. So there's an empowering part of this that's needed in our lives. Um, while, while we're here, let me say this to you. The book of Acts is not the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit on discipled people. <laughs> the book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the Holy Spirit coming on discipled people. See, oftentimes in, in some of my friends who are maybe more in a, in a charismatic kind of world, um, which I find myself kind of in, you know, all sections of the body of Christ. So when I'm in that section of it, you know, I'll have my friends say, oh, we just, we need the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not going to argue with them about that because that's true. It's absolutely true. But when I look at the full truth of Scripture, the reason that Acts is Acts is because there were men who had been discipled for three years. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and boom. And so we have to remember that. All right. So there's this role of the Holy Spirit shaping them, you know, and then filling them. And then we have this thing where gazillion people are coming to Jesus and churches are being planted and cities and cultures are being changed. But as I said earlier today, we get our eye on the wrong goal and we, we make the goal church planting converts and changing culture. And I just want to promise you, it'll never get where you want it to be. Because it's like Jim was saying, we're trying to do, put, here's Jesus' message, but we're trying to do it in our own way. Jesus just said, ultimately, I mean, think about it, his last, his last moments before he ascends to heaven. You know, I don't think when Jesus starts going up and ascending like this, he's going, here's hoping they got it. Yeah. And I don't think the disciples were going, hey, what do you, what, what do you mean make disciples? They weren't doing that. They knew clearly. 
They totally knew what he was talking about. And Jesus, I think, left them with a real sense of confidence, knowing if they would just obey the obey that, go wait, and then when you're filled, go do this, that his church would be born in great power. And it was. And we do see impacting culture. We do see gazillion, all that stuff. But the mistake is we make those things our goal when the goal should be reproducing disciples of Jesus, knowing that that's the natural fruit of healthy disciple-making. Isn't that good? That, that's just a key, simple, it's just a simple key little whoop, that changes our, our paradigm in the way that we look at things. I know it's hot in here, guys. You're doing a good job. All right? Now, if we're talking, about, like, so working in my own life, letting the Holy Spirit work in my own life, but also in discipling relationship, I want you to understand these phrases, grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit, because sometimes we, I think we miss mistakenly use these words. And I, I just want to show you something that's really practical and I'm talking about in my own life. Now, when I disciple people, it's something I can help them with. So I teach them this. So check this out. Grieving the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, the context there in Ephesians 4 is no corrupt talking, putting away bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice. So it's the putting away of things. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit says no and you say Yes. No, I don't want you looking at that. No, I, I'm saying keep your mouth shut. I'm saying do not say that. No, I don't want you to buy that home. You know, whatever the case may be. But we just get bullheaded and we go ahead and push through it anyway. Okay? Does that mean we're not saved and the Holy Spirit's like, no. But can I just tell you, um, I've grieved my wife before. There was a, there was a day when we were celebrating her birthday up with her family in northern Washington. And one of the things I have a habit of doing with my pastor hat on is when I'm at someone's birthday party and they always go, Dave, you know, why is it the pastor that always has to pray, right? Hey, Dave, could you pray for so-and-so? And so that I, what I tend to do is, yes, I'd be happy to, but let's just take the next five minutes. I want you guys to affirm this person. Tell them what you appreciate about them, and then we'll pray for them. So Cheryl, because of the environment she grew up in, knew that that wouldn't go over well. So she said to me that morning or the day before, we were gonna, she said, honey, you might want to skip that part. Boxhead, that would be me, is in that moment, and Cheryl's there and several other family members, and um, and I just felt inspired. And I said, you know what, before we pray, and Cheryl just looks at me like, we're going to talk later, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and you guys, I'm not exaggerating with you, or exaggerating at all. When I say to you, it was like this. So I say that, and it was like this. Like, does that start feeling awkward yet? <laughs> triple that amount of time until one of them says, I really like the way that you paint your toenails. And I'm going, no, no, that's not what I'm looking for here. And so we kind of reeled out of that one fairly fast and moved on and happy birthday. And Cheryl kind of gave me the look. We'll, we'll talk later. And I was wrong. I, and I saw the look in her eyes. She was trying to buck up and be kind, but I grieved her. She said, no. I said, yes. Okay. So this is something in our human relationships that we can understand. But this is, this is what this means. And you know what? I love this. You know why? Because when I do it, I can repent. I don't have to stay in the grieving spot anymore. I can repent and turn and move. And so I can do that with the people I'm discipling as well. When they've grieved the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has asked them to do something and they have said no, but now they see it, I can lead them in a place of repentance, disciple them how to do that, and they know they can be free again. You guys following me? So quenching, 
1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the spirit. The context there is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks, don't despise prophecy, test everything. So there's this more momentum towards things. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit says yes, and you say no. So it's when the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, I want you to go on that mission trip. But you go, no, I don't know if I have the money. Okay? And so quenching is, so I think of it like, you know, when I turn on the hose and the water comes running out like this, it's, it's doing this number, putting the kink in the hose and I'm quenching the flow. And it's really an interesting thing. I, I didn't put these up here, but um, one of the, the meanings of that word in the Greek for quench means to stifle divine influence and to affect with sadness. So you guys, we've got to come back to the fact that we're made in the image of God, which means God has a personality. God has thoughts. He has feelings. He's, he's real. And, and you can imagine, if I know how much I love my two-year-old grandson, imagine how much the Lord loves me. Because it's infinite. So when I read that my quenching could stifle divine influence in my life, I don't like that. All right. And I just wanted to share this with you so that as you, because again, can I just encourage you, you know, if you just need to stay in the chair here in the room for a few minutes when we're done and you just need to say, you know what, I'm not going to the next section until I deal with this in my life. I want to encourage you to deal with it because we know how we walk with this, right? And, And in my own life and when I'm discipling people, it's okay, this is a thing called repentance. This is a thing called releasing forgiveness to people that you're holding bitterness towards. And it's when you begin to take those steps, then you can receive forgiveness and say, Holy Spirit, would you just come f- fill me afresh? You know, I've been leaking, and I need you to come and fill me afresh. All right. Uh, am I making sense? You guys track with me? Because this, this is important stuff. Otherwise, someone can, can keep living a certain way of life, saying no when the Holy Spirit's calling them to something. And, and by understanding this, you can help someone be guided into following the lead of the Holy Spirit. You with me? I know you're hot, but hang in there. Help is on the way. All right. Matthew 28, you're familiar with this. So we, we talked about this today, the Great Commission. And look at this little phrase here, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. I want to show you how, how this work works in practical uh, ways. So I have a friend here in Nashville. He's a pastor. He's a very gifted public communicator. Um, good-sized church, and uh, we had never met, but we knew of each other, and he called me and said, could I take you to lunch? Well, when someone asks you that, is that not always the will of God, you know, if they're going to buy you lunch? And so I said, sure. So we, we met over here in Cool Springs, and within a, he's about my age, and, and within about five minutes, we could tell we'd become fast friends, and we have. And uh, I actually, I think, uh, next week have lunch with him again. But we, we you know, five, ten minutes of chit-chat and family stuff, and and then he said, can I tell you, he's a little intense. He said, can I tell you why I asked you to have lunch? And um, he said, I'm in a denomination that we really love the word of God. I said, that's awesome. He said, yeah, it is. He said, I could bring people to this table here that could highlight all of Hebrews for you right now. They could give you an overview of Romans. And then he dropped his glasses and he leaned forward across from me. And this is what he said, but they're not being transformed. And he said, I know you're a disciple maker, so I thought you might be able to help me with this. And I said to him, you know, just to keep things a little light but make a point, I said, you know, the devil knows the Bible really well and he's not transformed either. See, we have this mindset that more Bible 
Now, do we need more Bible? Of course, but we need more Bible. Okay? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus reminds us when, when Jesus says this, He who hears my word and does it, obedience, is a what? Help me, Bible scholars. Yeah, and he's a what man? Wise man. Builds his house on the rock. And then now notice the premise of the start of the next one. He who hears my word, same thing. Same thing. And doesn't do it, parentheses, disobedience, is like a foolish man. And so Jesus' whole point is not that we know the word, it's that we know the word. And that we make application of it in our lives. And so with this dear pastor friend, I, with my finger, I laid out, I did this, I drew three circles for him like this. I said, let's take that last circle, because that's what you're asking about, and let's call that transformation. Transformation. The aim is somebody's life transformed into the image of Jesus, so they look more like Jesus. They live more like Jesus. Their attitudes are more like Jesus. They walk in the power of Jesus in their lives when their prayer lives are as they function in their giftedness. There's something that's Jesus about them. Okay. How do, what do you do to get there? Well, one of the things that I reminded him of, which as a pastor, if you're a pastor in this room, you know this, you can't transform anybody. And everybody said? Because we've all tried. I mean, don't, like if, like it, when I have a small group situation that I'm sitting in and someone does the, you know, the serendipity or Quaker question, whatever you want to call it, and it's like, if you could have one superpower, you know, everybody's doing Spider-Man and, you know, super, mine is, Transformation, man. If I could get into someone's heart and mind for three minutes and make five big decisions for them and pull out, would that not be an awesome, like, superpower? I don't know why that wasn't part of the pastor equipping, but it's not, all right? But, but the point is, we all know that there's somebody in our life we wish we could make some decisions for them and stick it in like a card. Great, go. But it's not like that. This is God's job. For some of you, this might be one of the more important things that you hear today. This is God's job, not yours. But God does it so well that he takes a small little apple seed, and that apple seed doesn't only reproduce an apple. It reproduces a tree, and not only a tree, but an orchard, and not only an orchard, potentially thousands of orchards, all from something this little. So the next time you bite into an apple, be reminded of the transforming power of God. That he can take something so little, like someone's choice to say, God, I don't even know if you're there, but I'm going to reach out to you. And he can bring transformation. But that's God's job. It's not yours, and it's not mine. If we deal with insecurity issues, that can all of a sudden become part of our performance thing. And we're measuring performance. We can't do that. That's not how, how God wants us to live. All right? So what's the, what's the next one? The next one is Revelation. Revelation. So, so, <laughs> nice. <Excuse me>. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's putting in shelves up there. <laughs> right. So, Revelation. So, I, I, I said, now, I don't want you to think of this word revelation like the book of Revelation, though it applies there. But the New Testament word where revelation uh, is used gives the meaning of the pulling back of curtains. So, like, think of when you're at a, a play. You know, it could be at a church, it could be at a junior high, grandchild, son, daughter, niece, nephew. You go to a play, and, you know, you walk in, people are visiting, the lights are up, and finally someone does the flicking of the lights. We all know, okay, it's time to get quiet and sit down, and it starts getting dark. And when we all look straight ahead, there's that. If you notice, it's navy, blue, black, or burgundy curtains. 
And you know the name of the play, but you have no idea what's behind those curtains. Two minutes before, ten seconds before, one second before, until they open, and all of a sudden it's like, it's the Mayflower. It's a space shuttle. It's a Hawaiian island. It's an old western town. It's like, oh, now I see. That's what revelation is. You see, friends, there's a difference between facts and revelation. A fact is going, isn't it awesome when you read the book of Esther, that in the book of Esther, God's name's not even mentioned once, and yet he's doing all this stuff? That's a fact. You can tell when it's revelation from God because it demands a heart response. It demands a heart response. You know, man, that dude just spoke about having a bad relationship with your dad and I have ever got one. And you know you have to deal with something. Whether you, whether you are the wise man or the foolish man, you have now seen it. And what are you going to do with it? Are you following me? So when a pastor's speaking on Sunday mornings, I love the era we're living in because I can get the, I can get the, at our church, the notes, the audio, or the video. So I, I have my iPad usually out and I like to take notes that are on my phone and I'm, I'm doing that so that it transfers to all my stuff. But I, I know that ultimately I don't have to get it all. I can always go back and get it because what I need to get is what the Holy Spirit's wanting me to get. But we have such a culture. Are you, are you guys following me? We have a culture of knowledge. And, and, and a culture, rather than saying, okay, what's the one takeaway? What's the one takeaway? Just one thing that was like, whew. so let me ask you this. Let's just practice this for a moment to make sure you understand what I mean. But before I do that, let me say this. Remember when Jesus is with the guys and he says, who do people say that I am? Remember that? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, come back, or Elijah, one of the prophets. And he says, who do you say that I am? Who pipes up? Peter. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to Jesus' response. Flesh and blood has not... Flesh and blood can't reveal anything of spiritual truth to anybody at any time. Only God. God does the heavy lifting. He does the revelation and the transformation. He does, he does the heavy lifting. This is where you and I, when we're walking with people, we need to realize this is why we need to pay attention to what is God revealing to that person. That's the most important. Like, what is God revealing to them? But see, when we live just in a knowledge information place, then we're just kind of spitting out stuff versus, okay, what is God through the scriptures, through that message, through a conversation? What did God reveal that the Holy Spirit went, yeah, that's me. I want you to hear that. Okay. So just, just let's practice this for just a minute. So we were all together, or most of us anyway, in that last session, the opening session here where the five of us were visiting. What to you in that session, like if I just said to you, what's one revelatory revelation point that was, that God showed you in that last session that just wasn't a fact, like, you know, Jim said 80%, no, I'm not looking for facts. Okay. What was something where the Holy Spirit went like this and you went, oh, I saw it. And it demands a response, whether it, it, it could be repentance, it could be, I need to dig into that more. It could be, it created hope and passion and courage, or it could have done conviction, or it could have be anything. But let me ask you that. What was something that was this, where God parted the curtains when we were together in that room for the last, that hour, hour and a half? Just wave at me so I, I know who wants to talk. Yeah. Yeah. So how might that look as an application for you? Like, so, so here's what I ask, and you guys will see this when we get to it. The two questions I ask when I'm leading a small discipleship journey group is this. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you? And then once we've talked about it, how are you going to obey this in your life? So like, if I was asking you that, Damien, how, would you, how are you going to obey what that thing was in your life? That's awesome. See, that's a, see, there's a takeaway. 
Whenever it's revelation and there's obedience, it's a practical takeaway that's measurable. It's not theory. It's not like, well, someday. It's not theory. It's, there's an actionable point that you can go do that brings change. Why? Because God's initiated revelation. I'll show you in a minute what the middle one is. But when we do that middle one, which is our job, transformation comes. Okay, anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. So what can you do with that? See that, but so so that was the Holy Spirit just for you. He knew. Isn't this awesome? The kind of God we have. He knew that when. Tell me your first name, Mike. When Mike was getting up this morning, brushing his teeth, the Holy Spirit could hardly wait till Mike got here to hear that today. Like guys, do you understand that? Like that's how the that's how God is. It's like I can, you know, it's like Christmas. I can hardly wait till Mike, because he knows Mike has a propensity to try to obey the Lord. And so when all of a sudden they have, can you imagine the Holy Spirit going, watch, Father, watch, watch this. And then, bing, he sees revelation happen. See, and then there's the, the steps of obedience. I'll come back to you. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, which means, doesn't mean mentoring is bad. But there's just a there's just a distinction there as kingdom citizens. Okay, so you guys get this get the feel of what I mean here. So when God reveals something, the thing you and I are meant to do is obey it. Okay, so let me ask you something. Did God actually say something to Noah just for kicks about building an ark? Did did God just go, you know, just for kicks, I'm going to tell Joshua just to see how he's going to respond. Could you imagine the Trinity talking like that? I'm just going to see how he's going to respond. I want you to walk around those walls and say nothing. And then when I tell you to blow the trumpet, I want you to blow it. Let's see what he says. See, does God reveal something to us without us ever expecting, or with, without us supposed to be obeying it? I was at Kent's church with his staff one day, and, and it was the first time this ever came out of my mouth, and, and it was a keeper for me. What God reveals, he intends for us to obey. Okay? What God reveals is not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. But do you know how often we live in negotiation land with God? So when God says something to us, he actually wants us to obey it. Now, does that mean we? there's not times where we say, okay, let me go back to a, a dad issue. Well, you might say, okay, does that mean I need to pick up the phone tonight before I go to bed? Well, no, it might mean as you... You're now engaging in obedience. How am I going to heal this relationship? And the Lord might begin to speak to you and say, when you're home for Christmas this year, I want you to take your dad out for lunch. I want you to have a chat with your dad. Okay. But what it does is his heart is set in motion. He's agreed to obey, and now God is instructing him on how he would have him do it. But let me just say this again. What God reveals to you is not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. So that could be you just having your quiet time in the scriptures and boom, that just, boom, revel, just, okay, the Holy Spirit just revealed something to you. Now the next question is, Lord, how do I obey this in my life? That, that's how it, that's how it doesn't get stale. That's how it doesn't just, okay, I had my quiet time. I can check off Matthew 5 to 7, read the Sermon on the Mount. Hallelujah. Let's go to work. Instead, there's life. There's power. There's transformation. And here's what happens. When God reveals something, and there's obedience, transformation comes. Like if you look, I mean, there's tons of examples in Scripture. I just thought of these while I was putting this together, so I jotted them down. Abraham, in Genesis 12, leave your father's house and go. God revealed something to him, he obeyed, and he became the father of nations. Still fathering nations, as it were today. All right? God brings transformation. Moses, uh, at the burning bush, Go, Moses, in back to Egypt. He could have argued, but instead he went. 
And what happened? There was transformation through his life. See, sometimes it's transformation in, sometimes it's transformation through. More often than not, both. All right? David and Nathan. You remember Nathan the prophet? It's the first time ever the phrase, you are the man, was used. All right? And um, it wasn't good. Um, Zacchaeus. All right? The story of Zacchaeus. If, if Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down for that tree, I, I, I'm going to go to your house today. He honored a little short guy who was probably dishonored in his culture for numerous reasons. And Jesus honors him. And he comes down and he goes to his house. And in the end, remember the last line that we see about Zacchaeus is, everybody that I've wronged, I'll pay back four times. Transformation was happening. Okay? Um, the disciples waiting in Jerusalem, Luke 24, he said, before you go, wait. They could have just said, oh, the guy's gone, now let's just go do it. But they didn't, they obeyed. And what happened? Acts chapter 2, transformation, and then the whole rest of the book, we see it unfolding, transformation. All right? Paul, going to Macedonia, he, the Holy Spirit said, I shouldn't go here, the Spirit of Jesus forbid me to go there, and then he has this dream, and this is where he goes, and then you read the story, and transformation comes. So whenever there's God reveals something to you of guidance, of insight, of whatever it is, and you obey, you can expect transformation. Now let me just... Go back to this side and tell you something I've learned over the years. Between, like if we put lines in between here, like what happens between here and here? It's either obedience or disobedience. Okay? What happens between here and here? Oftentimes, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because there are some things I'm obeying and I haven't seen the transformation yet. Whether it's in my own life or through my life. And that's where it's, you know, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with half your heart, right? But see, oftentimes what we do, we do that. And, and it's the second part says, and do not lean on your own understanding. When I do that, it usually means I'm not trusting the Lord with all my heart. I'm trying to figure it out in my own mind. And there's times I have to trust the Lord that I'm obeying Him. I'm going to trust Him for the transformation. Make sense? Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Are you hot? Yes. <laughs> so am I. I'm actually sweating on my back. I don't know if you are, but... Okay, let me just show you this on obedience and the role of the Holy Spirit here. You guys know this, right? This, this portion here in Hebrews 5, I'm just going to highlight this where it says Jesus learned obedience. I love that. You know why I love that? Kent, is it cooler out there? Like if we leave the door open? Okay, so just don't preach loud. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so we'll, leave, we'll open the door up. So I love this. Jesus learned obedience, which guess what means who else can? I can. He learned obedience. All right? Yeah, exactly. There's the parentheses from, some, from what he suffered. All right? But one, of the, but one of the things that I want you to see is, look, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. All right? The life of Jesus was a life of obedience. I love this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do some things, nothing. Of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, I, I, wa- I want to give you a phrase that Cheryl and I try to live with in our life. We don't do it perfectly, but here's what, it's, what it is. What God initiates, he permeates. What we initiate, we have to sustain. I was pastoring in a church on a staff, and the senior pastor, it's a church that at the time was 90-some years old. It was a vibrant church, 90-some years old. And he said, I'm going to ask all of you as staff members to go back and I want you to do research to see how your area of ministry in our church got launched. He said, I'm looking for two things. Obedience, where God, God initiated it, 
and and there was agreement. So where God initiated and there was agreement. And here's what he said. He said, nobody's getting fired. Don't freak out. But here's what he said. If we can't find those two things where God initiated it and there was agreement of the leaders around it, what God said, we're letting that area of ministry die in our church. Because he said, here's what's happening. We're asking people to do something and give to something of their time and money that God never initiated for us to do. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. Because what we often do is is we whiteboard. We've reduced the Christian faith to, okay, let's put all our ideas up here. Let's vote on it. Who thinks the best one? Okay, we're doing that one. No, the way the kingdom of God is led is you get on your face and you seek God till He speaks. That's how you lead in the kingdom of God. And we have a habit of taking in whiteboarding stuff and voting on it. That's not how God leads. God is putting you in a place of dependence. I don't know why, but He likes that. Have you noticed? He puts us in places of dependence. It's way easier. You guys, I mean, the books that are down there, some of those books are incredible. You need to buy them and read them. But let me just tell you something. I watch this with dear Rick Warren, who's a godly man, who's done all kinds of things. But, but when his book came out, everybody ran to the bookstore, read it, and then they tried to do what he did in his church in yours. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He says, no, 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 no. Let me do through you in your unique, unique community with the people that are in your flock what I want to do through you. Because it's way easier to get someone else's idea and just slap it on there. Note this second. What we initiate, we have to sustain. So if you started something and God's going, I love you, son, but you know what, daughter? I I never initiated that. Do you know that sometimes we think it's the devil coming against us when it's actually God trying to crush it so it can get behind you so you can get on what he's actually calling you to? And we need to start recognizing that's, again, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is really key. What God initiates, He permeates with His presence and His leading and His guiding and His strengthening and everything that's needed. But when we initiate something, it's like God's trying to knock it down and we're running around trying to hold up the walls or we're going, (laughs) trying to sustain life because, you know, ministry should never die, right? It's supposed to go on. What if God just meant for that thing to last for a certain amount of time? What if that was his intention? Eventually Moses was gone and now there's this new dude named Joshua. There's times that God brings change and we cannot fear change. I was just in my home state of Minnesota a few weeks ago where I grew up. I live here, but that's where I grew up. And you know, I teased the men there that I was with because I said, I know what the great seven last words of the church here are in Minnesota. Do you know what they are? We've never done it that way before. Yeah. Or we've always done it. Yeah, or we've always done it that way before. Either way. But but the reality is that if you're initiating something, and I and I hope, and I say this very lovingly, but in the fear of the Lord, I hope that puts a, a godly tremor down your spiritual spine. Because this doesn't only apply to church life. Did you ask the Lord about buying that home? Did you ask the Lord about merging businesses, or was oh no man, it was usually that company's a million dollars, we can get it for half of that. It's a no brainer. That's not how God works. And so some of you are going to have the scary, unfortunate task to kind of, and I want to encourage you to do this, you have to look it in the eyes. You can't do this number and kind of skirt from it. You have to look it in the eyes and say, God, I own that. I own that. Now I understand why I'm in the disaster that I'm in. Because you never initiated this thing. And can I be as bold to say this? And I'm open to being corrected. I could be wrong. But so far, I've never seen in my 40-year journey with Jesus anywhere in Scripture where 
when we initiate something, we can ask God to bless it, and he does. God always is the initiator. We're the followers. But see, usually what we do is we come up with a brainstormed whiteboard idea that we say, I want to do that for God. Don't do that. Repent right away. Don't even touch it. That's not how God operates. He's not asking you to do something for him. He's just saying, he's asking you to do one thing. Follow me. Follow me. Which means I have to be in fellowship with him. I need to know how to hear his voice. I need to be obedient to what he reveals to me. Are you guys following me? Okay, let me just pause here for a minute um, before I just jump into another uh, piece of this. Questions. Questions on that. Okay, questions on that. Or, you know, if there's something I've set up to this point where I've caused massive confusion, please square me away. Jim said about the people that whiteboarded discipling for a year and he said, he said, how many of you are doing it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You guys, it's just, it's a habit. It's a habit we've gotten into. And is there, is it like wrong? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not God's ways. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm not a guy that thinks that it's like the radio's always on, you know, but I do feel like I need to pay attention to when he turns the volume up and I'm supposed to hear. And so um, here's what a dear friend of mine told me years ago. He said, Dave, the Bible says that, you know, the word of God is a light on, lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So a light unto my uh, feet right now, a lamp unto my path for the where I'm walking in the future. Stay walking in the word. The Holy Spirit, who inspired the word, may meet you somewhere on that road and may say, now, you're always supposed to love your neighbor, but I'm asking you specifically to love your neighbor this way. And so either you either are walking, like when I don't feel like I'm hearing anything, which there's many times in my life that I'm not, I just obey what I know in the word. Okay, And that gets me where I'm supposed to be. And then that's where the Holy Spirit will say, okay, I want you to pay attention to this. Okay. Let me, let me, I mean, this is a more dramatic illustration. It has only happened to me in this way a few times. So just hear me out. Uh, but, it, but to make the point of why it's important to obey. Um, from time to time, when I'm with a group of people for a little while and I'm speaking, um, in the middle of a message, the Lord will, uh, all I know is just, I'm telling you what it feels like on my insides. Like here, I'm kind of just marching down the road. And then there's this little tiny parentheses where the Lord will have me He'll give me an impression for somebody. In other words, he'll show me something about that person to encourage them. And so I'm speaking. I'm finishing with a group of missionaries. I'm looking at the clock. The guy said, be done at 2.30. It's 2.25. So I start closing my notes. As I'm just doing this like I have with you about where you guys are sitting, there's a gal sitting there. And I just felt this. It was like that little And I know, and I call these my pee in my pants moments. Because I know I need to obey the Lord, but if I don't get this right, I don't want to be an idiot in front of everybody, nor do I want to make God look bad. You know what I'm saying? So I call them my pee in my pants moments, all right? So I just stop, and you know, not abruptly, but I just finish my sentence, and I'm just kind of inside going, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say, but it's obviously I can tell you want me to stop. So I ask her her name. I'm actually buying time, because I don't know yet what to say. Have you ever been there? It's like, have you ever noticed the Lord just takes you out to the edge? Come on, are you still coming? Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'm standing there, and, and then sure enough, after she says her name, there was just a little distinct impression that I got. And so I said, hey, can, and I'm not the guy that says the Lord would say to you. I think we've said enough of that. I just said, can I submit a thought to you? And she said, sure. This is in front of a group a little smaller than this. And after about 15, 20 seconds, when I started to see this, I knew that the Holy Spirit 
was being faithful to me. Pee in the pants moment averted. <laughs> Until a girl leaning up against the wall here about 21, 22 years of age says, or, or I turn here and the Lord says, I got something for her. Just inside, this is nobody's knowing on that, but just inside I'm trying to listen. And so I ask her her name and I, again, something maybe 30 seconds to a minute. It wasn't a big heavy. It was just something that was at that moment the Lord put in me. I learned to trust him because I don't think when I'm in front of people, God's going like this. Father, son, let's just mess with Dave right now. I don't think he does that. <laughs> and so I've learned to trust. And so in the midst of it, I share it with her. As soon as I turn away, she shouts, no way, no way, like really loud. You know when the Lord does something, you're willing to tell on yourself, right? So I, we all look at it and go like, what's going on? And she said, when you were sharing that with Carmen back there, she said in my heart, he's totally making this up. This has nothing to do with God. And here's what she said, Jesus, if this is real, would you give him something for me right now? And that's when I turned to her. <laughs> I did not know this, but I left there with two very strong emotions. One was, yes. Because she'll tell that story till the day she goes to heaven. And I also left there with a trembling saying, what if I chickened out? She could still be wrestling with that. See, God never never does that kind of stuff. And someone may want to speak to her and it was something from God, but she couldn't receive it because God never does that. And part of our journey with the Holy Spirit in discipling people, you have to be willing to step out. And here's the thing I've learned over the years is when you step out and it's a swing and a miss, what's the worst thing that can happen? You have to humble yourself. So it goes from being led by the Spirit in that way to now being led by the Spirit to humbling yourself. Hey, I missed it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Right? But the only way that you learn is by stepping out. In the disciple-making process, it's the same thing. It's stepping out with that person, paying attention to what God is revealing to them, and then going there and being able to say, okay, how can I, and I want to start using the term now with us, guiding people into obedience. Like your greatest role as a disciple maker, along with praying for them and loving them and walking with them, is guiding them to, to obedience. So I, remember, I can't make this happen and I can't make that happen. But I can guide people into this. I can say, so I, I just want to encourage you to think about it. So I'll say, what is the Lord showing you? Well, this is what the Lord showing And just like I did with Damien here. And how do you think you're supposed to obey that? Because I'm just listening, not to them, but to what the Holy Spirit's saying to me about what he's saying to them. Are you following me? And that's why instead of, of all the time us going, well, you know what, I think in my glorious wisdom that this is what you should do, it's better for us to just listen and ask them questions while you're discerning what's the Holy Spirit. And then once that's there and you go, yeah, that's all, oh, that's it. Then all I get to say, how can I help you do that? What can I do to encourage you to take those steps? Do you need me to walk with you there? What do you need me to do to help you? Are you following me? See, that's a disciple maker. Can I just say something to you? You can do this. You can do, you can start doing this today. This is not hard. It's just, it's just putting on a different way of looking at this thing. Because oftentimes for us, discipleship is okay, we gotta get through this Bible study. Or we gotta get through this Henry Blackaby curriculum. Or Beth Moore, whatever we're doing, they're all awesome. All right, but the reality is, if we don't do this, it ends up in our heads, and not transformation of the heart. Okay, let me just give you a couple other things here. Is it getting a little cooler with the door open, or we just half a degree? That's nice. Minnesotans would know that. All right. So let me just let me just give you a couple pieces here. The Holy Spirit is disciple-making guide. The what? What does He do? He brings the presence, likeness, and power of Jesus. 
He wants to guide us in what I call the process of transformation, revelation, obedience, and transformation. And what what the Holy Spirit does is he wants to shape people in three things, the character, ways, and mission of Jesus. So that in the end, people look more like Jesus in their character. That they operate in the ways of God. I don't know if you ever have thought about this. The ways of God, I hope you see it all over Scripture now. But the ways of God is how God does stuff. It's the how. If the character is the who, the ways of God is the how. So like, for example, finish these with me. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must become the greatest. That's the ways of God. I don't know, and I'm, I'm being serious here at the moment, so don't. I'm not making funny here. I wonder if anybody's ever said that to dear Donald Trump or dear Hillary Clinton. See, they, they've learned the ways of the world and, and the political realm, but has anybody taught them the ways of God? There's a, a country artist here. She used to live here. She's a female vocalist of the year. She lives now elsewhere. And that um, she was going to go on a radio tour introducing a new album. And I didn't know what that was, so I asked her. And she said, we have to go to, I don't know, 60 to 80 radio stations and and uh, introduce ourselves and our song. And, and so she said, would you pray for us? So I did. It was over the phone. And when I, and I felt an impression. And I, guys, again, I've just learned through mistakes to just, I have to trust the Lord. And so at the end of the conversation, I said, can I run something by you? There was enough relational currency there that she said yes. I said, you know, um, all of us as followers of Jesus are called to be servants. So I said, can I suggest to you that when you get off your tour bus, Instead of just getting drawn into the stardom and signing autographs and all that right away, just acknowledge people kindly and you can come back to them. But when you get off the bus, you've been invited there. You've been invited there by the owner of that radio station and the station manager. Get off that bus with your eyes, greet people kindly, but then look for that station manager, stick out your hands, don't assume they know who you are. Shake their hand, introduce yourself, and then say this to them. While me and my family are here at your radio station today, would you please let us know how we could serve you? And she said, I'll do it. And she did. And when she came back, of course, here in Nashville, we had a breakfast at Cracker Barrel. And, uh, and she shared about all that God had done in her life. And because of what's happened in her life now, she, people love to be in her band. Because you know what she does? She serves them. That's the character of Jesus. Okay? And so one of the things we have to realize is things like the ways of God. Finish this one for me. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the... Okay. So in other words, who does grace flow to? Those that walk in humility. Husbands and wives. Grace is only going to start flowing when you humble yourselves to each other. Honey, I was wrong. Honey, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. Think of that in relationships in our lives. Okay. That's the ways of God. Okay, and we could go after, go over thing after thing after thing on this, but I want to encourage you to start paying attention to how God asks us to do things. Because it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey to God. And so the ways of God are very important to Him. And, but you have to learn the ways of God so you can pass on the ways of God. The Mandisa story I told you about of, 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 um, stage versus platform. That's the ways of God. Okay? So there's a difference. Okay? Um, and he also wants to shape us on the mission, that we get to be co-mission. Like we call it the great, and by the way, if you notice, it's not the great suggestion. Okay, It's the great co-mission, which means I'm co-missioning with Jesus. He's doing it, the Holy Spirit's supervising, but he's invited me in to, to the process. 
And we need to be involved in shaping people in the co-mission of Jesus that they too become disciple makers. And so that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit in how, you know, in, in how he's shaping. All right? The who. Yes, that was a band back in the day, but that's not what I'm talking about. All right? So how do you know who you're supposed to disciple? All right? So you're trying to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. I want to just show you a couple things. Remember I said this in our, our opening session. Start with this question. Like you could, on your Mac, on your phone, on your pad that you're writing, don't do it at the moment here, but I want to encourage you sometime this weekend before Monday hits, ask yourself this question, in whose ears are my words big? Because if you notice with some, and, and don't ask, in whose ears would I wish my words would be big? Okay? That's not the point. The point is, in whose ears right now are your words big? There might be one person. There might be 15 people. But it's a pool that you can begin to start with and realize I have, and here's what that looks like again. It's people hear you. They go do it. They come back for more. There's, there's, they pursue you for answers on things or for advice or for counsel, for discipling. And when you notice that your words are big in someone's ears, pause and just acknowledge, Lord, I recognize something here. And that's not the moment that you say, I am going to disciple you. I, I don't usually say it that way. I just start building relationship. And once relationship's far enough along, I'll say, hey, would you like to take this to another level? Instead of us just seeing each other maybe once every six weeks or something, what if we got together every week with, would you be interested in a group of maybe five or six or 12 people that I want to be with over the next year. And let's just begin to, you know, by that point, because of relationship that's happened and because of, you know, me recognizing that there's favor there, most of the time they'll say, yeah, I'd really like to do that. Okay. But that's, that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit's like, whenever I think of that, I think of like little blue hands going like this. Hey, do you right here? So ask yourself that question. It's an amazing way to look at yourself and see how others see you. And whose ears are your words big? Then what I do is I, I narrow that a bit by asking the question, you know, are they faithful? Meaning if they say they're in, they're going to be in. Darren and I were in a group together uh, several years ago where a couple of the guys said they're in, but just they couldn't. And, and I'm a, don't, don't think of this negative, I'll square it away here, but I'm kind of a three strikes and you're out guy on discipleship. Not friendship. He'll always be my friend. But, if, but in this case, we committed to meet at 5.30 a.m. every Wednesday morning on a video call with some guys from around different parts of the country. And after the first call, they weren't there. So I thought, ah, oh, probably tech problems. You guys all right? No, overslept, alarm didn't go. Okay, no worries. Next time. Second time, so this is two weeks later, we're all on the call. They're not there. So I just say, hey, guys, where are you? I'm just going to kind of give you a heads up one more time here. We need to talk. And then the third morning, they weren't there. So I, I've learned to let people off the hook really gently. And I just say, hey, I just want you to know I'm not going to be including you in the emails anymore. I can tell that you're just not in a space where you're there to do this. And I want you to know that's okay. I love you. I'm with you. We'll still go to ball games. I'll pray for you if you've got questions. But you're not at a place where you're really willing to be discipled. Have you noticed that when Jesus, there's one place in the scripture where it says he loves someone. It's the rich young ruler. But you notice that when he walked away, Jesus didn't chase him down and say, dude, I'm just kidding. Just sell half of what you have. We lower the bar. And in discipling relationships, I'm not going to do that. I want to have the bar here. And I'll, I'll have grace, particularly if their attitude's right. But af- on this particular occasion, after three times, I just I let them off the hook. Why? Because I don't want them doing this, uh, John. I don't want them seeing that, like this in the hallway. Hey, hey, Dave, how you doing? I want to still have a relationship. 
I want to still have relationship. But, but you have to be clear in a discipling relationship, are you in? So one of the questions that Cheryl and I will ask when we're going to invest in someone is this, are you willing to match my commitment? That speaks volumes. So when I look at someone, because here's, for example, on that one, hey, I'm going to be there at 5.30 a.m. I don't really want to be looking at myself on Zoom, on my video call. Are you going to be there? Because I will be there. Now, if I'm speaking in California and it's 3.30 a.m., I won't be there. But I will delegate someone to leave, leave that time. But you can count on me being there. Will you match my commitment? That breaks it down to real life stuff for people. Does that make sense? Okay. And then I want to remind you, Jesus spent the night in prayer as he chose his disciples. And I'm not suggesting you have to spend the night in prayer, but what I am suggesting is you do need to pray about what this gives you a pool. The Holy Spirit can use these things to give you a pool of, okay, here's, here's the people that I can be considering for this year. Now, Lord, who are you asking me to invest in? Make sense? That was weak. I'm impressed by the, the thought of when Christ sent out the 70 and he said, when you walk into the city, and basically he didn't say it in those words, but that's basically what he said yeah. is, look for those people who are people of peace, who are responsive. And if they're not those people, like, yeah. cut your losses and go find somebody who is, because yeah. how much time yeah. are you going to invest in that yeah. person? That's right. And you guys, and, and I was teasing, but serious a few minutes ago when I said, you know, in whose ears do I want my words to be big? You have to realize you want to pursue the hungry of heart. And those that God is turning to, towards you. The way I have, uh, have praying about it one time, the Lord helped me see it. It was like scattering seed. And it felt like the Lord said, hey, just watch for the seed that comes up out of the ground and starts leaning towards you. And that's, I want you to pay attention to those people. The rest of them, just bless them in the name of Jesus. Love on them. Enjoy them. But it's not your responsibility to pour into them. Sometimes there's someone that's just put on your heart, too. And it's not necessarily that they're responsible. But for whatever reason, God's just like said, I want you to pour into that person. And they may not be responsive. I think of like when Jonah went to the Ninevites. Yeah. They weren't like going, hey, Jonah, come here. We want to tell us your story. Yeah. So sometimes we're called... And compelled sometimes by God, sometimes just yeah. something that he's put in us. And, and di- disciple-making, someone receiving that invitation, it always has to be a volunteer thing. Um, do you know, um, this is the way I like to say it, manipulation and control has nothing to do with the kingdom of God ever. Can I? And I'm being dramatic here, but you, you just my point. God is so non-controlling that he allows people to spend eternity in hell. That's how non-controlling God is. So Christian leaders should never be involved in control. Okay. And that's one of the things that we need to recognize is discipleship has nothing to do with control. And there was a movement, some of you have lived long enough that you may remember, that happened in Florida in the 1970s where uh, it was dis- discipleship run amok, where it was, no, 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 you don't go buy a car unless you come to me first and I approve it. That's control. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is always somebody volunteering to put themselves under someone else to learn. Okay, It is an invitation. Yeah. Make sense? All right, so the how. Here's just a couple of things. You know, your aim is following the lead of the Holy Spirit and shaping followers around his character, ways, and mission. The whole focal point is teaching them to obey Jesus. That's the focal point, okay? So here's a couple practical things. Learn to listen well to what the Holy Spirit's saying through someone in that situation and learn to guide them into obedience. And again, when you think of that, it's like, well, what does that mean? All that means is you ask this question, so how are you going to obey that? How are you going to obey that? See, when I asked several of you that, you responded to me. Okay, 
the Holy Spirit reveals something, he's going to show you what response he's looking for. Okay? So ask that question. How are you going to obey that? And I'll often say, what can I do to help you with that? Can I pray with you? Can I? Is there anything I can do to help? See, then I can guide them towards... It's, it's not them trying to go cram a curriculum. It's them being guided. All right? Now, some of you might say to me, Dave, I don't... What tools to use? All right? And I'll just tell you, there's a lot of good tools at this event. So you need to snoop them out. The one that we use... Um, it's a scripturally sound, proven, and practical resource. It's called a discipleship journey. It's literally a one-year walk where there's a video component, 12 to 15 minutes you watch every week. And then there's about an hour where you take your Bible and you go through. There's a dozen themes that take four weeks each. And so over a period of a year, you walk through stuff and transformation. And literally, it's the easiest group you'll ever lead because everybody does that on their own. They watch the video. They d- jump in for an hour. So it's about, I ask like with our men at our church, I'll, here's what I'll say. Guys, I need 184th of your time. And they'll look at me like, what are you talking? I said, I need 184th of your time. You need to give it to me. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how much time do you sleep? Well, they do the math. About a third of my time. Okay, how much do you watch TV? Uh, about a tenth, fifteenth. Uh, how much do you work? Uh, about, I said, I need 184th. I said, well, what are you asking? I said, I'm, I'm asking you, are you willing to give me two hours a week? An hour where you're willing to be in the Word using this the tool here where where you can be in the Word and an hour where you can be in a small group where this is the only thing you do. You ask these two questions after your coffee and cookies. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you this week? How are you going to obey that in your life? And so we, we just let people go around the circle on however order they want to about what God had revealed. And it's awesome because it's the same flippant topic, but there's ten different answers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is personalizing to each one the truth that was revealed. And then I can say, okay, now how are you guys going to obey this? And listen to each other as you share this, because I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody else, that you can pray and stand with them in their obedience. May I ask a question? Yeah. So one of the things that I find is the most difficult with, like, and I've used the exact kind of model you're talking yeah. about, is people who are then, okay, so then I'm in for the two hours, but then that's it. And when I think about the people who've discipled me, that isn't how, that isn't how, what was impactful. What was impactful right. is that that wasn't it. Right. It was like way more than that. Right. And I don't mean way more like in just measurable minutes a week. Right. But it was like we shared life together. Yeah, there's investment. And so, how do you? How have you found to make gone to that level with these people, or do you find that for you it just happens naturally when you do that two hours a week? So, so what this does is it it. Um, primes the pump for me, and it lets me real lets me see in them what it is that God's doing. And then sometimes, it dep- see, I end up discipling a lot of people who live outside of my community because I do it on Zoom, yeah. And so when I'm with them, then that's the time I can zero in with them. And so there's different rhythms I have for different people. Sometimes someone needs something for three months, maybe once a week. Sometimes it's once a month. And so, but yes, there's a this is just the teeing teeing the ball up. And so that I know what God's doing in their life, but then there can be time. And when I'm in their cities, then I can hang with them or be with their families or have dinner with them or whatever the case may be. If it's guys in my church, that's easier because I'm with them. Yeah, because I see them. We live in the same community. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, Yes, sir. Could you give us... Perfect time. Question and answer, you guys. Hey, by the way, what time is it supposed to be done? Uh, You have one minute. If you go by the... 3.45? You have one minute. Okay, last question then. <laughs> Other resources, I, I don't know if, you know, this, if this one you mentioned is, is 
Yeah, it is. It's it's something that I've done. We've used it for a dozen years around the globe. It's in different languages. If you go downstairs to the lion's share table, you can see it there. It's called a discipleship journey. Oh, almost every organization here. If you go to their table, Bill Hall has. Yeah, they have a tool, and you are going to bark up the right tree on every single one. Yeah, yeah. So let me close in prayer. Has this been helpful? Okay. So Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. We just ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to follow your lead. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to guide people into obeying you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.